ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terra Master, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Jimmy Elza, how are you, sir? Doing great, man. Doing great. Thanks for reaching out and uh, coming on ATV Talk and being part of this. Excited to be here. I enjoy the podcast. I listen to them all the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, Jimmy, let's talk a little bit about how did you get into ATVs? And we just started uh, trail riding, me and my dad, and it got pretty serious. I uh, started out on a Yamaha Breeze, a baby blue Yamaha Breeze. <laughs> <laughs> and I had pink grips on that thing. And man, I thought it was the coolest four-wheeler ever. And then uh, we moved up to uh, 300DXs. And we actually went to the uh, ATV Olympics was my first race on that. I don't know if you remember that. They had a uh, Olympic event in Greenville, Tennessee. They had TT, motocross, and cross country. And my dad and I, we raced the cross-country portion on the 300DXs. Nice. And we had no idea what we were getting into. So we just literally rode around the track together. And I'll never forget the pros were coming around the lapis. And they just start screaming at me, you know. And I was not prepared for that. My dad, I look over, and he's uh, in the woods trying to find a stick to, like, hit the guys because he didn't like them screaming at his boy. (laughs) (laughs) But we actually met Gary Denton. That I have a picture from that race uh, with Gary Denton, and what what pro he is, man! I loved him on your podcast. Such a positive guy. Just like to hear him talk. Dude, Hall of Fame! Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. Congratulations, Gary. Yeah, that's just uh, we. I was just on with Joe, and that's well, the main topic of our deal was the Hall of Fame. So, yeah. well deserved. He was a awesome. Uh, person for the sport for sure uh still is still is when you get him when you get him talking oh man the guy will go on for hours and hours it, it, it's, yeah. it's awesome uh he, he is unlike some pros he didn't get faster with age you know because how do you top 
eight consecutive championships and then a Mickey's title, you know, how, how do you top all that? Sure. And he was a very accomplished motorcycle racer too, you know? Yeah. That's, it's just crazy. Hey, but we're not supposed to be talking about Gary. Sure. We're supposed to be talking about you. So we started there and then I think my dad seen, I was pretty serious about it and he ordered a JP racing CR 80 frame and we had no idea what we were doing. He just ordered it. And if you remember the JP frames from back in the day, not everything fit exactly perfectly. <laughs> and, uh, we got hooked up with uh, Wayne Meridian and Mark Baldwin. And they also gave us uh, Johnny Hale's phone number because at the time Johnny was already racing the uh, modified 80s. And he was very helpful. We called him, you know, we'd run into a problem or whatever, putting the bike together. And uh, we got it put together. And that was the first year of the Daniel Boone uh, National. I don't know if you ever came to Daniel Boone, but that's where I'm from. Yeah. Still live in London. And uh, we got it together. and. Showed up at the track. I'll never forget it. You know, Mark Baldwin and his big blue trailer. They welcomed us with open arms. Everybody did. It was just like family from the get-go, you know. And uh, we were hooked from there. We were just going to do that race. On Monday, we were ordering TT parts to go to Virginia. We ran the whole series. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That And, you know, I mean, I'm not telling you that the industry's changed. But some of the things that I hear, it's not quite the same. Um, it's a little more cutthroat in certain areas. But one of the things that we, we loved is, yeah, we all wore a different flag. And, and at certain times, it was a little, you know, touch and go with the groups. But for the most part, everybody was there for everybody. I mean, I remember borrowing parts from from other te teams, you know, and, and them coming and borrowing parts from us. And, you know, because we all ran two fifty hours, we all had, everything was just about interchangeable. Sure. Yeah. And those CR 84 wheelers, you definitely had to borrow parts because you know, <laughs> they're so specialized. <laughs> and, uh, we did the JP frame. You guys didn't quit. <laughs> <laughs> it actually worked pretty good. Uh, yeah, but you were just a kid. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And we just had one bike the first year. And I remember going to Loretta's and having to, uh, you know, swap it from TT to motocross. You know, they done the TT the first two days. And then we had a break, I think, of a day. And then we had to set it up for motocross. Right. Yeah. Well, at least you had a couple hours to work on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did that with Eichner's Banshee. We would make it motocross, make it TT, make it motocross, make it TT. Uh, fortunately he had a TT bike, uh, for his Honda and a motocross bike. So that made it a little easier. Yeah. So we done that. I think I raced the 80 class for three years. I think I won my first national, my second year it was at Muddy Creek. I'll never forget that. And we didn't just race the nationals, Lenny, like, when the nationals got over, we were just getting started. We'd done all the muddy Creek races. They'd had like an indoor series where they'd done these little indoor races in Nashville, North Carolina. And we would race the, uh, 80 against the four stroke four wheelers. And that was a lot of fun. I mean, I hate to know how many weekends we raced a year, but it was way up there. We weren't done when the nationals were over. 
man, that's, that's just a lot of wear and tear on the family. Wasn't it? Man, I don't know how my parents done it. You look back, especially now that I'm older and have kids, just the time and the money and the, uh, you know, driving back from a race eight, eight or nine hours, my dad would get up and go to work, you know, five o'clock the next morning. And, uh, once you get older, you appreciate those things more than I probably should have. I should have appreciated more in the moment. I guess I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Cause you, you think about it, you, you had to go to school and you'd drag your butt to school. If you didn't have to go to school, you'd sleep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he would have to go to work cause he was going racing again the next weekend. <laughs> Or you'd be complaining about cleaning the trailer or something. Sure. I was sure. <laughs> I got that t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When did you get into the big bikes? Uh, that would have been 98 was my first year on the big bikes. Uh, we went straight to the 250A class. And one cool story I have about moving to the big box. I had no idea what to expect. And I hadn't even rode a 250R until the season was over. I guess in 97, that would have been. And we went to Daniel Boone a few weeks later. I got a 250R. He bought a Liger, a 250R off a guy out north somewhere. And the uh, National B-Class champion was there at that race. And I went out and beat him. And I really was not expecting that. And my first, uh, like, national caliber race was the uh, Pace Series in St. Louis that year. The uh, I think it was the first year they so done the stadium race. And I went out and finished fifth and I beat Joe bird. So that was like a big deal for me <laughs> because Joe, I kind of looked up to Joe growing, you know, I went to his school and stuff when I was on eighties and we got to know Joe a little bit. And, uh, so that was pretty cool to beat him at my first race on the big box. I think I finished fifth. That's so cool. That's a, that's a story forever. Sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Byron Goggin actually has a video. I think that it's featured in. So that's kind of neat to go back. And... You don't have any of the extreme videos. Yes, I do. I do. I just found a VHS player to play them in. I, I gave all my copies to my son. Yeah. Byron done a lot of cool things for, for the racing back in those days. And yeah. I was kind of bummed that things didn't turn out for him the way, the, the way they should have. You know, he should still be involved. He should still be there. But everybody's life has to change and, and it has to go the direction that it has to go. Sure. Things change. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. So, so that was 97. You beat Joe or was that already? Well, it was 98. I think it was in January. It was that race right at the first of the year, if I remember correctly. And you went to the A class where you were, uh, Tavis Kane was in the A class and uh, did. Um... This was before Tavis's time. My first year in the A class, Justin Gandy won the A class. I don't right. know if you remember Justin. Yep, I remember Justin. And uh, I finished second that year. I think I won. I won two or three races my first year. I won Redbud was my first uh, two fifty eight national. Didn't Dana win it in 99 and, and Tavis won it in 2000? No, I won it in 99 and I won it in 99 the next year. Okay. Dana and Tavis actually showed up at Loretta's in 99. That was the first time I'd ever met Dana and Tavis. And I was actually leading the race. I remember that race like it was yesterday. And we were running those big Renthal, uh, like the pro taper size, but they had the crossbar on them. Right. And the, uh, 
my kill switch had popped out a couple times that year and I was leading the race and my kill switch popped out. And I can't remember if Dana won. I think Dana ended up winning Florida's that year. But in 99, I won nine out of 12 uh, races in the A class. So that was by far my best year racing. I actually, uh, Daniel Boone, you know, was always my local track and I had so many laps at that place, but I never done good there. I always had something, some kind of bad luck. And sure enough, I was practicing the uh, 99 season, the Tuesday before Daniel Boone. And I was out practicing. It was windy and I shouldn't have been jumping, but I was back on my track behind the house and the wind blew me off the jump. And I put my hands down and the brakes myself and I broke my arm for my first time. And that was actually the year I won the championship. So I had it plated and we came back and we won Birch Creek in Danville, Virginia, like two and a half weeks after I broke my arm. So that was kind of cool. Wow. That's, that's crazy. But looking back on it, I think maybe I should have probably let it heal a little bit longer because <laughs> I had an issue. I had issues breaking my arm. That's what eventually led me away from racing. I broke it like five separate times. Same arm? Yeah. And yeah. and the plating didn't hold? Well, the plating held that whole year, and I was actually practicing uh, in the winter of 99 in Georgia. We drove down there to practice at a sand track because it was warmer. And I didn't even crash. I just kind of landed off a jump. And I broke it bad that time. It was compound fracture. And they had to plate it again. And this was like on Thanksgiving Day. So who knows what doctor I got. But I came home and they cut the cast off like two or three weeks later. And my arm was like crooked as like a dog's hind leg. So they had to go back in there and re-break it. Oh. And replate it. So I didn't even get to start. My first year in the pro class was 2000. And my first race wasn't like Muddy Creek that year because I was recovering from the broken arm the second time. Man, that's rough. Yeah. That's really rough. And what was your highlight in going from, or let me put it to you this way. You never got to experience the thrill of being the A champion and then rolling into the pro class uh, healthy and getting to experience that first gate drop. That's true. And my first race actually was Muddy Creek. And I always done like the normal stuff. Like, and I had prom the night before my first pro race. So I went to prom, you know, stayed out to pray midnight. And then we got up at like, four o'clock in the morning the next morning. And I raced my first pro race at Muddy Creek the next day. And I was actually running, I think top five. And I got wrecked over that big tabletop, the spectator tabletop. Oh, wow. Uh, Who'd you wreck with? I can't remember. I can't remember if it was Doug or Joe, but it was one of those two. Did they go down? No, I think I landed on them. I think I jumped too high and they got underneath me and I landed on them on the, uh, Landing, if I remember correctly. Ah, yeah. First time back out after the recovery of the arm. Did you get hurt or was everything okay? No, I wasn't hurt on that one. No. And I appreciate my parents let me do the normal stuff like prom and that kind of thing. You know, a lot of 
a lot of the people got so wrapped up in racing, they kind of gave that up. And uh, looking back on it, I'm glad I didn't. When you went down um, at that at that time, when were you worried about it? Did it get, did it enter your mind about your injury? Oh, for sure. Every time I wrecked, I would. That's the first thing I do is check my arm, you know. And the big jump was it the one where they had the kicker at the other end, or were they run it the other way? So you went off the launch ramp and then cleared the tabletop. No, it was the. Uh, it wasn't a big big jump. It was the one over by the uh, like concessions tabletop there, like where the announcers tower and all that is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it was just a table. It was just a tabletop. Yeah. Wow. What what was going through your mind when you lined up with all of your heroes? Oh, it was awesome. It's what I'd worked so hard for, you know, and uh, to get a chance to race against them. It was amazing. And, you know, Doug Gust, uh, Gary was gone. But you had Gus and Far and Hit. Oh yeah, you like you. The field was very deep back then. I've heard you guys talk about it, but I mean, the top ten could be turned around backwards almost every moto. It seemed like. No, I'd probably go a little deeper than that in some cases. You know, depending on where you were and what whether it be TT or whether it be motocross. Sure. You know, I mean. That that era of racing, uh, I don't know if we'll ever see it again with that many competitors that are that fast and that capable. Yeah. I mean, just for the love of the sport, because none of those guys are making any money. I think Gary was the only guy making any money and he was gone and everybody else was still trying to figure out, you know, how to get to the racetrack in their pickup truck, you know. Yeah, you talk about Shane. He used to come down and practice with me quite a bit. I got a few good stories with him. But we would go to Daniel Boone, and I remember this. Like our training regimen, we would actually stop at the Waffle House on the way to Daniel Boone <laughs> to go practice. So that's how, that's how serious me and Shane was about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, was Shane ever serious about anything? No. <laughs> I got a good story, too, actually. He... uh he was down practicing with me and he went home for one weekend and uh, he left his TT bike in my shop. Well, I had like a local practice mechanic and my dad had to like intervene to keep him from like disassembling the bike and like taking pictures because <laughs> we had this cheat code, you know, I mean, at the time, you know, that bike, you know, Shane won every TT race, it seemed like, and it was just sitting there, you know, and uh, my dad had to stop my practice bike mechanic at the time from uh, going in and uh, seeing what was under the hood, so to speak. Shane probably doesn't even know this story, so he'll hear this one, but I would have, I would have been all over that thing. You sure. know, it would have been so tough not to be weighing it and measuring it and checking this, checking that. And, but, but, you know, when you talk to Shane, he had, you know, seven or 11 pairs, I think it's seven sets of shocks for the thing with multiple swing arms, you know, various links. So he was dial. He was so much farther ahead on the TT bike setup than anybody else. You know, when you have that much, much product, 
in your trailer that you can choose from, uh, it, it's pretty unheard of. You know, we, we ran the same tires with the same sway bar, with the same swing arm, you know, with the same shocks all year long, you know. He was a good TT rider too. I think that gets overlooked a little bit in his setup because he could. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, Greg Baker, Shane hit uh, Shepard, Charlie Shepard was a pretty phenomenal TT rider as well. You know, not very many, not very many people talk about him, you know, but he was super, super fast. Sure. And Timmy and Travis, you know, they were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were you there? The were you racing the year that uh, sh- it wasn't Shane? Yeah, it was Shane and Spader. Both bikes caught on fire. I can't remember. Spader was leading, or it was Shane was leading, and then he in the big sweeper he freaking stopped and the bike caught on fire. And then the same thing a few laps later, and and they had huge gap, you know, first had a huge gap and then second had a huge gap. And then there was the rest of the field. And, uh, those two guys, both their bikes, identical setups look like both caught on fire. I would have loved to have known what did you do to catch them on fire? Sure. They may have been sharing the same gas can. I don't know if it was just gas can. There was something else going on in, in there uh, that, that caused that thing to fail. You know, I mean, it is what it is, right? Sure. So where did you end up uh, at the end of uh, 2000? I think I ended up uh, 11th overall, which I'd missed the first three or four races. My best finish that year was uh, at Ashtabula at the TT. I got third. And actually, Travis hounded me the whole race. I don't know if you remember that, but that was when Travis was number one. Right. If I remember correctly. And uh, Shane and Timmy, or no, Shane and Harold was first and second, and then I was third behind them. So that was really cool. That was a big deal. And at that time, I was still pitting with my dad. We were just out of our high point trailer, so it was a big deal for our family, you know. Well, get on the podium in the pro class. Yeah, that's... And coming off of a broken arm, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I loved Astabula. What a great place to race. I mean, I love that track. I don't think I've ever had any good success there, but it is that is an iconic place to go. You know. Arlen and LRD always had our motors. That straight stretch at Astabula to me was the ultimate, you know, horsepower. Horsepower straightaway. And I uh, never got passed down the straightaway. That's... That's awesome. Yeah. Good thing. You know, because getting passed on a TT track on the straightaway is a bad thing. That's for sure. Especially <laughs> that one going that fast. Yeah. Because I mean, what what it what was the top speed? Uh I think the top speed that I saw recorded was like 79. Maybe it was over 80. Yeah. And that was going into that curve, you know. Yeah. Corner. Yeah. We have some, we have some uh desktop paperweights from Eichner losing the motor there. You know, it didn't just, it just didn't break the crank. It destroyed the entire engine. Sure. <laughs> Unbelievable. I was racing there one year too. You remember uh, Bud Fisher that uh, smoked the cigars, the old man? Yep. Fisher. 
he caught me for jumping the start. And then I jumped it again. And I actually ended up starting backwards on the uh, plates that people spun their tires out on. <laughs> he had me turned around backwards on the second row. <laughs> Just blow that cigar smoke in your face. You know? <laughs> Turn around, boy. <laughs> Why were you freaking jumping the start? I guess I was just trying to get the whole shot. And then it didn't work for me, obviously. Well, we were in Olympia, Washington. This is three wheeler days. This is way pre you. And Jimmy White got caught jumping the start. Or they, yeah, they red flagged it. They put him in the second row. And he was third through the first turn. How he did that, how he pulled that off, I'll never know. He said that uh, they got this this sign and he left and then the gate dropped and he was coming through the front row when everybody was leaving. So he got a great start. You know, yeah, that was something else cool about that Astrovula race. That was the same year as the Legends race. Yeah, I got heard. So that was that was cool to watch all that. Yeah, because uh, Marty Hart rode uh, Travis Travis's bike and got third. Yeah, that was a lot of that was a cool race. I wish I could have got to go to the other Legends race. Um, that would have been pretty badass. Yeah, I still have like a bunch of autographs from the Legends race from all those guys, so that's kind of cool, isn't it? I, I mean, being a fan, I, I got uh, my I got an autograph from my son when I was back there from from Curtis. You know, he still got it. My son collects all the jerseys and everything. And uh, I used to go around and uh, get the autographs and stuff like that for the jerseys and, you know, just ask um, for them. It was pretty awesome stuff. Still is, you know. Most people don't realize you have to be just such a huge fan of the ATV world to, to do what we do as long as we do. Sure. You know, I mean, are you still, you're still a fan, I'm sure. And you're, you haven't raced in how many years? It's been since Oh two, I think was the last time I raced. Really? And when I stepped away, I got to step away. I can't be one of these guys that like ride every now and then. What was 2001 like for you? Uh, that's the year that Max bring the, uh, big truck. Do you remember the semi? Yep. And uh, I rode out of there and had some injuries again. I think I hurt my back that year at the uh, St. Louis pace race. And looking back on that, that was pure ignorance on my part. Uh, I wanted to be the first one to jump the triple on the track. So I went out and hit it on the first lap and landed way nose up where the suspension didn't work. And that really done a number on my back. And that proved to plague me later that year. And uh, at that point, man, injuries just kept piling up. You think the injuries were because of youth? Yeah, and doing dumb stuff like that. <laughs> well, that's that's youth. I mean, that's what I mean about uh, how old were you at that point? I would have been 18, 17. Yeah, dude, you were just a baby, just just trying to break into the world of of the pros and, and make a name for yourself. 
I just always liked to jump and like we took pride in who could hit the jumps first at the track. And sometimes we would do these jumps the first lap of practice. And just looking back on that, that wasn't very intelligent. <laughs> yeah. They usually, they usually get a couple laps in before you, before you hit it, you know, you want to know the pace is going to throw you so on and so forth. Yeah. You know, nobody in your camp said, Hey, don't jump it. Oh, I'm sure my dad did. That probably went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> well, that wasn't very good. No, no. What'd you end up for the year? I mean, that was a pace race. Um, how did you end up in the nationals that year? I don't think I finished very good. I don't even remember, to be honest with you, Lenny. I remember Daniel Boone that year. I was healthy and went out and was in a car accident the week of the race. Oh, so I raced Daniel Moon that year with two black eyes because I'd been in a car accident, which is actually a good finish I ever had at Daniel Boone. I think I got ninth that year in the pro class at Daniel Boone. With two broke with two black eyes. With two black eyes, yeah. <laughs> I have a picture somewhere. I think I may have sent it to you. Wow. Um, and and the year just was injury after injury after injury. Yeah, I just missed a lot of races. And actually the next year we decided we were just going to go TT racing and take a year off the motocross to let my body heal. And then I just kind of walked away after that. Cause at that point I was in college and I had other things that were, you know, taking my time. Girls. time. Yeah. Girls for sure. <laughs> We've lost more racers to girls than, than anything. Yeah. Um, and you were still in the 250R era when you were racing. You never, you weren't around for the four-stroke change. Well, actually, the year I think I hurt my back at the pace races when Corey showed up with the uh, hybrid Lager YFC. So they started going that way, and then the Cannondale showed up, you know. And I was like the last one of the last ones on the 250R for Nax at the time. You didn't transfer to the 450s at all? I never rode the 450s at all. Did you ride ATV since you left? Not really. Not much. Really? You you're, you just walked away, walked away. Yeah, because I know I can't just go out and ride and like take it easy. It's just not worth getting hurt anymore. What do you do for a living? I'm an airline captain. You fly airplanes. I do. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty amazing. That's quite the, that's quite, well, there's an adrenaline rush flying an airplane, doesn't it? Man, it's the only thing I have found that replaces racing. And I have actually a few thoughts on that. Like in racing, you know, you're always uh, trying to hone your craft and there's always new equipment, new stuff to learn. And aviation is a lot like that. If uh, you're always learning in aviation, you never master it. And uh, I think that's kind of what draws me to it. I love my job. I love what I do. And I think it's interesting that a lot of the former racers are pilots. I think that I actually ran into, uh, I was at the airport in Nashville. This has been probably five or six years ago. And I walk in the uh, building. I'm like, that's Joe Bird. <laughs> sure enough, there's Joe Bird <laughs> in the airport. So it was kind of interesting to run into him there. But, uh, 
I think that's why racers enjoy aviation because it's just something you're constantly working at, you know, perfecting your craft. Okay. Why can't I talk on my cell phone when I'm in the airplane? I never said you couldn't. <laughs> the airline says I can't. Yeah. They tell you to put it on airplane mode. That's I'm not going to go too far on that. Oh, come on now. <laughs> the boss not going to hear this. We hope. Uh, you guys must have quite a few miles on the airplanes back in the day, traveling back and forth. I've spent my fair share. I spent my fair share. You know, I never got to fun seat. You know, I always had to ride in the back, you know, and I don't think they ever wanted a guy like me flying a plane anyways. You know? I mean, that's probably what some people are thinking right now. That's listening to this <laughs> about me. <laughs> Liking to jump. I don't know. I never liked to jump, but Hey, you know, I mean, th- does this thing dive like, you know, a, a jet, you know, is it going to fly like a fighter jet? Well, let's try it out. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that that's your mentality. I mean, cause you don't go from building high performance ATVs that are state of the art machines and testing them and doing the things that I got to do, then put me in something that you have to, you know, drive like a granny car. That's just like horrible. I don't want to do that. Sure. <laughs> you know, I still, I still get to test ride some of the coolest machines that we build. And most of your, most of the race machines that we do, I'm doing some form of test ride on them at some point. Granted, not out in the environment. I'm not jumping them or hitting them into the whoops. I don't do the suspension testing. I just want to see how the motor is going to respond under a load and, and how you're going to shift it, how it revs, you know, tuning stuff. Um, and, and usually in an environment that you shouldn't be riding an ATV that fast, you know, but that's all I got. So that's where I do it. I've heard your stories about the parking lot. Ah, uh, dude, they're freaking awesome. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, you know, the, the, the greatest one is when Josh Rose saw me do it for the first time. I think he'd seen me do it before, but I was delivering an LTR to a customer. Um, and you can turn that inside of a traffic lane or a parking spot. You can do a 180. Okay. At speed, they turn so good. And in that little parking lot area that I would test bike, I got clocked at 61 miles an hour before. <laughs> and I rode that LTR and I could pivot it in the driveway in 180 and not lose the momentum coming out of the turn. And I didn't think that it was that cool, but Josh sure thought it was that cool. <laughs> uh, I talked to, you know, I had Tavis Kane, Doug Eichner and, and, uh, gosh, Ben Jackson all standing there and I'm testing each one of their bikes before they load them in the trailer. And, you know, I asked them all, Hey, well, why am I, you guys are the pros. Why am I testing your bikes? And they know you're doing fine. You just, you do you, <laughs> you know, did you guys sponsor Ben? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. I, know that. Um, I think for a season, maybe a season and a half and he either got in, something happened and he couldn't finish the year. I don't know if it was the first year or the second year. He used to come down and practice with me a lot as well. And you talk about those parking lot stories. Like we used to take my TT back up and down my country road, like where I lived. 
you know, wide open, riding wheelies, running 80 miles an hour. And the neighbors always put up with it. And then I had this track back there, you know, and if it got dusty in the summertime, we didn't have a water truck. I mean, it would look like desert storm when I was back there practicing. I can just imagine how that got on their houses and everything else, but nobody ever, ever said anything to us. Different time, different, uh, uh, different beliefs, you know, people let people be themselves and let them do what they wanted to do and understood that, you know, boys will be boys and uh, they may, maybe they enjoyed it. Maybe they were fans and, and really liked uh, what you were doing. I had a nice track by my house. They actually came and filmed one of the Wavos videos there. And uh, this is kind of a funny story. My papa was always involved in my racing. And uh, for one of the Wavos movies, they tried to ride the cows. I don't know if you remember watching that one. I think I do. I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the next week, all three cows that we rode died. <laughs> <laughs> we must have got them too excited but they everyone really they did uh, and my papa didn't even want to tell me but my dad told me did they think it had to do with the video yeah we just got them too excited you know they weren't rodeo cows <laughs> they were just farm cows and it killed them yeah it killed them. three of them that is the craziest thing yeah I mean, wouldn't they have died when you were doing it? You would think, but it was the next day. Oh, wow. We were out there trying to ride them like in full riding gear and a helmet. And it was just funny. It was. Yeah. Now it's not, but yeah, then it was. <laughs> wow. That's I have wild. so many good stories about my grandpa. I got another good one. I'll tell on him. We were at a challenger. You remember the TT track up in uh, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Pennsylvania. Yep. If you remember, the track was a pretty good ways from the like the town and the hotel. You know, it's probably a good twenty five minute drive. Right. And uh, my dad, me and him had a disagreement after the race. I can't even remember what happened. If it was mechanical or whatever, my papa didn't like something my dad had said to me. And they always play golf, like on the practice days, like on Fridays or whatever. So they, he had his golf clubs. Well, Challenger was like in the middle of July. You know, it was 90 degrees in the shade. He gets mad and he, take, he gets his golf clubs and just takes off walking, <laughs> left <the> track. <laughs> and you got to think my papa had been 70 years old at this time, you know, if not older. And uh, it took us probably an hour and a half, two hours to get everything loaded up after he left. And we took off driving down the road and there he was walking on the south road <laughs> with his golf clubs and at 90 degrees. <laughs> and uh, glad to see you guys. We pulled up. He got in like nothing ever happened. <laughs> we rode back to Kentucky. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Yeah. That is too funny. We were going to the track the next year, and I'll never forget. And he looked, and he said, man, there's a really good uh, spring behind that house over there. <laughs> he said, on our way to the track, he had found him a, a whale to get him some water. I guess while he was walking. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I don't think that people on the West Coast even have a clue how cool it is back east. Most everybody is so awesome back there. You know, welcoming stranger, doesn't matter. You know, open their house to you. Uh, come on in, sit down, let's have somebody, you know. Uh, it, it's an incredible family, really is. Especially the racing family, man. I have so many friends and 
that's the main reason I started doing Facebook is just to kind of keep up with some of those people still. And even though you've not seen them in 20 years, you know, if you were to run into them, it would be like you would never miss a beat, you know? Exactly. So let me ask you this. How did you find ATV talk? Well, I listened to the Cody's uh, podcast and it must've just showed up as like a suggested one or whatever. So you listen to Jansen digging yeah. deep, and somehow the link came on because he came on my podcast. He was episode 15. Yeah. I couldn't find Tavis's first episode. I wanted to listen to that one. Well, we might as well just tell you right now, I'm an idiot and I screwed up and we published two before we published one. So this Friday, episode one of Tavis Kane, after episode two came out, is going to come out. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I made a huge mistake and, and another listener called us out on it. And then we started doing some investigation on it and went, oh, okay. You know, um, nothing we can do now because it was already a week and a half old. And uh, so episode one will be this Friday. Well, when everybody listens to you, it'll be probably three weeks, three weeks ago. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Rastrelli, just so that everybody keeps it in perspective. uh, Jeffrey Rastrelli drops tomorrow. Okay. Not his dad, the kid. Okay. Current, the current racer. I asked Jeffrey to, to hook me up with his dad and he hasn't done that yet, but I'm hoping he does. Yeah. His dad was around when I first started. Yeah. He raced the pro class. You know, this is going to sound bad. I didn't put two and two together. Really? <laughs> and then he said it and I went, Oh yeah. The clueless. I want to talk to your dad. Yeah. Let's do this. You know, because I remember the name and I believe somebody told me, but I, it didn't, it didn't register, you know? And now, now when I think about it, it does. So it's pretty cool. I love talking to the older school people. I mean, I like talking to the new school people too, Um, but guys like you and, and some of the older school guys, you understand what it's all about and you want to tell your story and you want to be involved. And these young kids just don't realize that they're missing out on self-promotion. I just enjoy talking about it, man. It was a great time in my life. And it's good to relive it. Well, I want to hear more about this jet thing because what size jet do you fly? Uh, the one I fly right now is a 76 seater. 85,000 pound airplane. But only 76 people? So you yeah. only get to scare 76 people to flight? Only 76. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's, up, what's up with those two or 300 passenger planes? Hopefully that's down the road for me. You fly for one of the major airlines? Yeah, I don't want to go into it, who I fly for, but yeah. That's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah. That, that's pretty cool. Uh, all interstate. No national, international stuff. Well, we go to like Canada. <coughs> Pardon? Say that again, please. Go to Canada. I was in Montreal last week, but in the Bahamas. Oh, nice. Nice. That's pretty awesome stuff, man. That's still a big responsibility, man. That uh, 
flying an airplane like that and making sure that the uh, mechanical logs match and doing all the things that you guys got to do. Uh, that, that's pretty, pretty intense. It can get that way. Stuff starts piling up on you for sure. The uh, weather is kind of a crazy deal. I'm sure. Well, you get weather and then maintenance and then trying to get a plane out on time. It can add up pretty quick. Oh, I bet. It's kind of like getting your four wheeler ready for race day. Absolutely. Very similar. You know, you're sitting there waiting for the UPS man. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. You know, they don't get there till seven o'clock at night and you needed to leave five hours ago. Oh, my dad used to, man, when we raced, he would be at the UPS terminal every morning and get our parts before they would go out on the truck so we could, you know, get them that much quicker, which I'm sure you've dealt with that before. Oh, I don't have, I don't have the ability to go down there and pick them up. Um, but we've chased drivers down and trucks down and done things like that because we had to have it. I mean, I've been racing so long that I remember taking a complete quad on the airplane in pieces. Really? <laughs> Five or six of us. And we all traveled together and everybody had a carry on that was too heavy to carry. And we checked the frame with the engine in it at check-in, you know, and I think somebody had a box with a arms and somebody had a box with shocks and, you know, a steering stem. And, you know, it was just, uh, I think one of us carried an exhaust pipe on, you know, and people are just looking at us like we're nuts. You know, you can't do anything like that now. Sure. <laughs> you show up with a with a motor or engine oil, and oh my god, this plane's gonna blow up. Well, you know, I did this for years, so I don't know what you're talking about. Another interesting story I had the first time that I went to uh, California to do the freestyle stuff for West Miller. I actually drove to uh, Johnny Hill's house, which is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I had literally got my driving permit earlier that day. And my dad turned me loose to drive to Tulsa. <laughs> and then Johnny took it the rest of the way out there. And then we flew out for the, uh, the freestyle show. And that was a really cool thing, man. That was, uh, like we got to ride with the, uh, Jeremy Steinberg's, the Carrie Hart's, the, uh, Brian Deegan's and all those guys were super cool to us. And it was so neat to go out there and, uh, and do that. And we didn't have a ramp at the time wide enough for us to hit. So like they would just build some little, dirt jump in the middle of the, uh, the course, but to get it, to go out there and, uh, kind of be a part of that, that was really cool. That was something that, uh, Joel Grover set up. If you remember, I think he wrote for you guys, he uh, worked for pace and, uh, he set that up. So as a young kid to get to go to California by myself to do something like that, that was just, uh, that was pretty cool. How many events did you get to do? I've done the one in Anaheim. And then I done the one in uh, San Francisco, so I got to do two that year. I think Sean Sermini done them with me, Corey Ellis, uh, Chris Fristo, and John. Wow, I, heard, I haven't heard a couple of those names in, in a while. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so yeah. Crazy. Like I'm, I'll never forget. I went to the football game that night, like my high school football game, and. Uh, I told the vice principal at the time what I was doing. And she just kind of looks at me like, I'm crazy. Like you're driving to Oklahoma right now. <laughs> <I'm> like, yep. 
<laughs> Gotta go drop my four wheeler off so I can go to California next week. And, and they still didn't get it. You know, no. show photos or uh, videos and they just would shake their head. Uh, what, what was your best trick? I like doing the cliffhangers and the hill clickers and no hander landers. I wasn't, I mean, I can't do none of the tricks these guys can do today. I mean, they make us look silly, but mainly I just like to jump. I enjoyed hitting the bigger jumps. I like being the first one to hit them. And that used to drive West Miller crazy because he would build a big jump. And I would never hit it where he got to see me hit it for the first time because I didn't want him to video me crashing. So I would wait till he was on the other side of the track, you know, and hit this jump. And he would be so mad because he didn't get to film it. But I would always do it again if I'd done it once, you know. Right. Right. Did you have any problems doing the freestyle stuff? Man, I actually never got hurt doing freestyle. All my injuries was the racing stuff. When you were doing the freestyle, did you do freestyle anywhere else but those shows? Or was that the only time you did freestyle? Uh, just for the videos. And then uh, John Pellin put on a few freestyle shows for like that Orville TT race, if you remember. Same one that the kangaroo kid was there. But so you did it. So you did do it other places. You just you just got to go with Wes Miller and them. Yeah, that's yeah. That's still kind of cool. It was a lot of fun, man. We had a good time. Jimmy, I want to thank you so much for coming on ATV Talk. And I want to extend an invitation for you to come back. Uh, I thank you for uh, reaching out and uh, being a fan. I really appreciate it. Enjoy your show, Lenny. Thanks for having me, man. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.